Hello, and welcome to the Tao Te Ching for Everyday Living. I'm your host, Dan Casas-Murray. This podcast is for the Tao curious, those looking for a random bit of wisdom once in a while, or for those who want to dive into this wonderful teaching. I've been studying the Tao Te Ching for just short of a year now, and have reconnected with a natural feeling of inner peace and contentment. I don't hold a doctorate, nor am I qualified to teach anything about the Tao Te Ching. I'm just an ordinary person who has experienced the wonderful side effects of following the Tao. Since everyone's experience with this wisdom is different, the only thing that I can hope for is that mine helps you to connect with a Tao in your own unique, personal way. Feel free to listen to each episode a day at a time, or anytime you need a quick Tao shot. You can listen while you're on your way to work, or after that, when you're winding down. It's always a good time to observe the Tao. In each episode, we'll do four things. One, we'll read a verse of the Tao Te Ching. Two, I'll break it down into everyday language. Three, I'll share my own thoughts and experience. And four, I'll leave you with a couple of the many ways you can put the Tao into practice for yourself. That's pretty much how I've been practicing the Tao every day. By listening to Lao Tzu, reflecting on his words of wisdom, listening to other comments, and trying to practice them in everyday life. Thanks for joining me today and enjoy this episode of the Tao Te Ching for Everyday Living. Verse 46, Abandoning Desires When Tao was manifested to humanity, horses were used for cultivating the fields. When Tao was hidden within itself, war horses were reared on the frontiers. There is no sin greater than desire. There is no misfortune greater than discontent. There is no calamity greater than the wish to acquire. Therefore, to be satisfied is an everlasting sufficiency. That's verse 46 of the Tao Te Ching, translated by Isabella Mears. Next, let's break it down. This verse has two parts to it, and we'll take each part one idea at a time. Part one is talking about utility horses and war horses. And part two is saying that the trick to contentment is to be content. <laughs> More loud, Sue. <laughs> okay, so what do we mean here? A couple of horses uh, in the first part. Well, here, here's what we're talking about. Isabella Mears translates when Tao was manifested to humanity. Uh, some other translations talk about when the Tao was present in the people's lives. And then the opposite of that condition, when Tao was hidden within itself, or in other words, when people were not in harmony with the Tao. Okay, so now we have a little clarity on that. So if people are in harmony with the Tao, then all these different types of horses that we have, right, that do like all these cool things and interesting things, like they're doing the work of growing. Seemingly boring, but incredibly productive because we're taking care of things, right? 
But whenever there are, you know, whenever we're not in harmony with the Tao, then we start breeding war horses in the countryside, to quote another translation. And so the idea is that the horses themselves are the same animal, right? I mean, uh, of course, you know, there's different breeds and types and, and everything like that, but a horse is a horse, <laughs> right? Just like we're people. The idea is that depending on the state of harmony with the Tao, we are either growing or we are fighting. And that's just depicted in, you know, with the analogy of horses here. Okay, so the second part, so the second part, the trick to contentment is to be content. How very Tao, isn't that? Okay, so how do we do that? Okay, right? Like, let's unpack it. There's no sin greater than desire, no misfortune greater than discontent. All right. So what does this mean? Well, we're going to find out a little later in the verses that it is our desires themselves that breed discontent within us. And I found this to be true. It's not a very pleasant truth at first because I'm like, oh, my desires define me. One must be ambitious in this world. At least that's what I thought. After unpacking all of that and thinking about it, I realized that it's okay to need stuff. It's okay to work towards stuff. But what I do when I desire something is I, I create this unhealthy attachment to a particular outcome over which I have no control. And that is what causes discontent. So if I walk that back and I can say, hmm, Maybe it's my unhealthy, egoistic desires that create discontent with me. Maybe look at that and see what I can do to abandon those desires. Okay, so let's wrap that up. And remember that verse 46 has two parts to it. Part one talks about utility horses and war horses. And part two talks about the trick to contentment is to be content. Okay, so let's put that back together. I'll read verse 46 again. When Tao was manifested to humanity, horses were used for cultivating the fields. When Tao was hidden within itself, war horses were reared on the frontiers. There is no sin greater than desire. There is no misfortune greater than discontent. There is no calamity greater than the wish to acquire. Therefore, to be satisfied is an everlasting sufficiency. Let's take a look at some of the things that this verse made me think about today when considering abandoning desires. There are two things. One is that we are the war horses. And two, is the case for abandoning desires. We are the war horses. This verse is elegant in its entirety, isn't it? In all the translations, there is a common element in the first part, a horse. The Red Pine translation calls them courier horses. Charles Johnston calls them farm horses and Lin Yutang calls them racing horses. 
We take a fine specimen of an animal in peacetime and make it do utility work, like manuring the fields or tilling them. Boring, dirty work that seems below their stations. <laughs> That's peacetime. Then, in wartime, in all the translations, Lao Tzu talks about war horses. So in peacetime, all the different awesome types of horses bred for many different things are tilling the fields. In times of conflict, the different kinds come away from their boring, dirty work and are made into war horses. Of course, people are doing that. The horses are just doing their things. So a horse can either be a utility animal or a weapon. Interestingly parallel to our ego idea back in verse 39, isn't it? Just to review, we can use our egos for selfish pursuits or we can use our sense of self-awareness to create beautiful things. So if we can imagine ourselves for a moment as neutral entities, just like the horses in this verse, can we observe how things feel different in peacetime and wartime in our homes, our work, and with friends? At home, what does it look like when it's peacetime? Um, for me, everyone is doing their thing. Life is pretty tranquil. Dinner time is nice. There's a feeling of contentment there, like, ah... This is what it's supposed to be like. How do you feel during this time? But what about when there are disagreements at home, no matter how small? Can you feel the not quite right feeling? And what do you do in these cases? Try to weather the storm, add your influence to the strife to make it go your way? Contrasting now, how does that feel? Now at work, when everyone is working together as a team and the mission is getting done in a productive, feel-good way, how's that feeling? Pretty good in my experience, like things are as they should be. I don't know about you, but for me it feels so good in those moments, like they're perfect moments, when all cylinders are firing, the machine is well-oiled, and it's producing things with precision and with regular timing. Satisfying. <laughs> now, sometimes it seems that those moments are few and far between, depending on your work culture. You know, who's there, what the leader's like, what the chemistry seems to feel like. And when your workplace isn't having those moments of pure purpose, what's it like then? Things getting done, but with little eddies of discontent flowing around. Maybe sometimes catching you and sometimes missing you. What does that feel like? With friends, a get-together is a happy occasion, isn't it? Everyone's there, enjoying each other's company, doing their own thing. Until so-and-so opens their mouth and starts creating drama, right? <laughs> you either watch it, join in, or avoid the drama. Regardless of your level of participation, how does that make you feel? We've had a look just now at what peacetime and wartime look like in our daily lives. And just like the verse, there is a common element to it, isn't there? In the verse, it's a horse. In your life, it's you. In my life, it's me. Lao Tzu is talking about the state in the first part here. What happens when the state is at peace and war? State meaning government. 
And what he doesn't mention specifically about the state of the state is why it's sometimes at peace and sometimes at war. Is it due to outside forces? Or is it due to the state's state of discontent? I think it's safe to say that while the first part of this verse seems to be about governmental discontent, we can totally apply it to ourselves. So if the common element is you and your daily life, ask yourself, how much of my daily war and peace comes from my discontent? The case for abandoning desires. Lao Tzu comes to this verse's point in the next part. He says, There's no sin greater than desire. There's no misfortune greater than discontent. There's no calamity greater than the wish to acquire. And therefore, to be satisfied is an everlasting sufficiency. Wait. So, he's saying that nothing is worse than desiring things. Desiring stuff is the main roadblock to my contentment? I mean, that's what it seems like, doesn't it? Well, let's consider. If I'm the horse, during peacetime, I do useful things that contribute to growth. In wartime, I devise military strategies for the purpose of violence. Grow constructive. Fight destructive. What leads to war? Government discontent. My discontent. And what leads to discontent? A non-desirable set of circumstances I or the government feels needs changing. Distilled a little further. When my thoughts are occupied with that which I desire, I am comparing my present self or my possessions with an imagined state that seems to be better. And this creates a tension between the manifest and the unmanifest, doesn't it? Only it's not the Tao that's creating this tension. I am. And when I decide that I am the one who is qualified and able to relieve this tension, I take it upon myself to change things and therefore leave out the Tao to do its work. Inevitably, it's been my experience that I bungle the job most of the time and I end up with a less than perfect resolution to that tension. That less than perfect resolution part ends up in arguments, hurt feelings, little things that just don't sit right. I mean, none of it show-stopping stuff, but still, not perfectly in harmony. You know what I mean? And perhaps it's easy to chalk that up to the human experience, in which case we'd be right. But just because we're right doesn't mean that there's not a better way. But, okay, so then, what's the better way? <laughs> Well, Lao Tzu seems to say that abandoning our desires is the better way. <laughs> well, come on. What's that supposed to look like? Well, I suppose we could start with the easy ones. Direct desires of our senses. Desire from sight. The desire to see beautiful people and things. Sounds. The desire to hear things that make us feel good. Touch, the desire to interact with people and objects in my physical world, sometimes intimate, sometimes not. Taste, good food, anyone? Smell, well, okay. Well, how many different types of body wash, perfumes, colognes, toothpaste, etc. are there? There's a lot, right? All right, so now 
let's see what happens when we start combining our desires together. So, the desire to see, hear, and touch people, and things that show me I'm a good person, or pride, perhaps. The desire to see, hear, and touch people and things that reinforce the thought that I am in control. Or, (laughs) desire for power, perhaps. The desire to directly affect people and things to match my expectations of what I want to see, hear, and experience, and the resultant emotion when I can't. Anger, perhaps. The desire for more visual, auditory, tactile, olfactory, or gustatory stimulation? Maybe that's greed. See where we're going with this? We have desires. We have them all the time. Lao Tzu says that they stand in the way of our contentment, though. So, just to pick a quick scenario, let's say I desire a bunch of money. Knowing that I will likely not accidentally find a big pile of it, I understand that I'll need to work for it. I'll find myself doing some pleasant, perhaps unpleasant things for it. It'll take me some time to accumulate the amount I want. And I'll sacrifice some things along the way, but little things. Some time with the family, some time with friends, with myself. But that's acceptable, I think. It all sounds quite reasonable. Now, what if, and we're just going to try this thought on for size here. What if I was incapable of desiring that money? What would my scenario look like then? Quite different, don't you think? I wonder if it would look more blissful. Like, I think I'd have more space in my head to enjoy more stuff. (laughs) I'd have more time to spend with those who are important to me. And I wouldn't even know what I was missing, would I? Okay, so could we, for just a moment, agree to say that desires lead us down seemingly reasonable paths that rob us of the 100% unadulterated life experience? But wait, that's saying that ignorance is bliss, which isn't necessarily true. I mean, I have to be responsible for myself, a productive contributing member of society, don't I? Well, yeah, of course I do. I want to be. But there's a difference between working on getting what I need and working on getting what I want, isn't there? So my next inclination might be to say, desires make me who I am, don't they? I mean, without desire, wouldn't I just be that lazy person on the couch doing nothing? Aren't desires good because they define me? They motivate me? After thinking about this, I came up with two thoughts. One, yes, my desires motivate me, so they must be good for something. I would argue that we can separate the notion of desires with a notion of needs. We know the difference. Needs are things that I don't necessarily desire, and for me, they're not as exciting as the things I want. I just know I need them. Desire, on the other hand, represents things that would add color to my life if only I got them. But I don't have to add colors to my life, because the Tao already does that. And when I am in a state of desire, I am doing the Tao's job for it. Badly, of course. 
So that was thought number one. Thought number two was that try as I might, I don't think I'll ever become completely desireless, you know, because I'm human and stuff. <laughs> and I've got, I've got years of experience in desiring stuff. So anything I do now to abandon desires is such a small effort compared to the amount of time I've put in to cultivating them. There is much work to do. So that's thought number two. There's plenty of desire to motivate me. Abandoning what I can will leave me with a significant quantity nevertheless. So I don't have to worry about losing my desire identity anytime soon. What I do know is that the less I desire, the easier life seems to flow. And the quicker I receive what I need. From situations, from people, from my senses. And what's providing all of that? The Tao, of course. So it seems that while the idea of abandoning desire seems like an unnecessarily heavy thing to do, Lao Tzu gives us a great lesson here. Desires, as reasonably justifiable expressions of discontent, produce conflict between others, but more importantly between us and our connection with the Tao. Desires keep us in yang which is fine by itself, but without the counterbalance of desireless yin, we sever our connection to the always-on, always-providing Tao. So that'll wrap it up today. To summarize my experience with this verse today and considering abandoning desires, I thought about two things. Number one, we are the war horses. And number two, I thought about the case for abandoning desires. For the final piece of this episode, let's consider how we can apply the principle of abandoning desires in this verse today. There are two things we can do. Number one is we can become aware of our desires, great and small. And two, we can consider letting them go. For right now in my practice, the two lines that resonate with me the most are, there is no misfortune greater than discontent. And there is no calamity greater than the wish to acquire. That's from the Lin Yutang translation. Lao Tzu is telling me that discontent is the worst. And that wish to acquire or desire for possession is what causes that. Earlier, we talked about desire in general and how selfish desire creates discontent. And isn't the desire for possession of things the same as selfish desire? Because we're not talking about possession of just physical objects. Desire for possession can mean someone's love, a social status, a reputation, or other non-tangibles. So for this last section, I'd like to invite you to look at desire with me. Let's become aware of our desires for a moment. We'll go ahead and take a deep breath and ask the Tao to show us something new today. Thank you. In the last 24 hours, or week, or month, maybe even the year, think about your ambitions for a moment. Just get a general sense of what you're trying to do. Is it a better job? A new revenue stream? Is it more intimacy? 
Or what about more friends? Or less friends? Eating well? A new car or phone? We're just looking for things we have thought about, calling into our lives or working for. Now, for whatever it is, ask yourself, do I need this thing or circumstance? Would I like to have it? Or is it something I can't live without? It can be any answer. Now ask yourself, and now let's get honest, knowing that only you know the answer. Nobody else does. These things are situations that we're thinking about. Is there a part of us that selfishly desires to possess it? It doesn't have to be a thing, like we said. It could be situations or circumstances, too. Do we have to have it? Just an honest appraisal. It can be mixed with our need for it also. Is there a part of us that needs it? And is there a part of us that must have it? Just pause for breath and consider that for a moment. Now let's move on to considering letting go of that desire for possession. Remember, if we truly need something, it is provided. We have evidence of this, don't we? I mean, we can remember from birth until now how we've always somehow managed. So there's no need to fear not getting what we need. Let's call up that thing or circumstance we desire again and remember that part of us that must have it. Just feel that desire for a moment. Now let's ask ourselves, do I believe that getting this object or circumstance will make me feel happy, fulfilled, or content? I'm just looking for an honest yes or no here. And if that answer is yes, let's ask ourselves, is that really true? Will getting this object or circumstance make me feel happy, fulfilled, or content? I found that it's actually not true. The Tao gives me happiness, fulfillment, and contentment. Not objects or circumstances. The desire itself is what creates discontent for me. Okay, now if you're in a place where you see that this desire is the very thing that is preventing your contentment, let's ask ourselves, what would my need for this thing or circumstance look like if I was incapable of having this desire? I'll say that one more time. If you're in a place where you see that this desire is the very thing that is preventing your contentment also, let's ask ourselves, what would my need for this thing or circumstances look like if I was incapable of having this desire? I'll just kind of think on this for a moment. And now the final piece. Let's ask ourselves, 
Would I be willing to let go of this desire? <laughs> when? How do you feel now? Maybe a little lighter. I know I do when I practice this. Sometimes I need to yawn after doing it. You can use this process to get rid of any agitations you're experiencing due to discontent with things in general, or you can use it if you want to have a look at any possible agitations you don't want to have. So it can be used as a remedy or a preventative. Usually I use it as a remedy, though I would like to get better at using it as a preventative. Step by step, yeah. <laughs> I've used a mix of a couple techniques in this section to help us apply the principle of abandoning desire in this verse today. The first was just various translations and commentaries of the Tao Te Ching. And for the application section, I used two techniques. One is from Dr. Wayne Dyer's Excuses Begone, and the other is an adaptation of Hale Dwaskin's Sedona Method. If you'd like those authors and titles, just send an email to the podcast at dailydowlife at gmail.com. So we'll go ahead and wrap it up now to consider the principle of abandoning desires. I can do two things. One, I can become aware of my desires, great and small. And two, I can consider letting them go. close out this episode, I'll leave you with a final reading of verse 46 of the Tao Te Ching, translated by Isabella Mears. When Tao was manifested to humanity, horses were used for cultivating the fields. When Tao was hidden within itself, war horses were reared on the frontiers. There's no sin greater than desire. There's no misfortune greater than discontent. There is no calamity greater than the wish to acquire. Therefore, to be satisfied is an everlasting sufficiency. Thanks for listening to an episode of the Tao Te Ching for Everyday Living with your host, Dan Casas-Murray. This podcast is for the Tao curious, those looking for a random bit of wisdom once in a while, or for those who want to dive into this wonderful teaching. In each episode, we do four things. One, we read a verse of the Tao Te Ching. Two, we break it down into everyday language. Three, we discuss my own thoughts and experience with the Tao. And four, we look at a couple of the many ways you can put the Tao into practice for yourself. That's pretty much how I've been practicing the Tao every day. By listening to Lao Tzu, reflecting on his words of wisdom, listening to other comments, and trying to practice them in everyday life. I'm pretty sure that as I learn about and experience more of the Tao, all my thoughts and lessons will change. I wish the same for you as you grow along your journey. If you found something meaningful in this podcast and would like to discuss it with others, I'd like to encourage you to subscribe to the subreddit Taoism. That's reddit.com slash r slash Taoism. Also, I'd invite you to share this podcast with friends if you think it would benefit them. As always, I wish you love, compassion, and peace. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>